day. Father, we thank you that you are here. Father, we thank you that you uh, want to really speak to us today. And Father, we pray that our our minds would be open to hear what you would say. Father, may our spiritual antenna be up and just ready to receive from you today. Father, we thank you for this day. We know that this is a, a, a great day. Uh, Father, a great day to be alive, a great, to be, great day to be in your house. And Father, we just want to, to know your presence in ever-increasing measure, in deeper ways, in fresh ways. And so, Father, we pray that you come and that you minister your presence into our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So just turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. Really are skipping a few chapters here. Um, We're going to go into Acts chapter 19 and uh, just read the first few verses in Acts 19. We're going to consider them today. And the title of the message today is Barriers, uh, sorry, Belief Barriers and Breakthrough. Uh, And we just spend a wee bit of time just considering what God wants to say to us through these things today. So Acts chapter 19, verse 1 uh, says this, While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said that John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there, Uh, for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate, and they refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. The way is the the name that the Acts uses for uh, following the, the Christian faith. So, Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that he had touched, uh, that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits were cast out. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits, in fact, we'll stop there. We'll not go into that, but we'll just stop there. Um, I think verse 11 is quite incredible, isn't it? That God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. I would quite like to just see some ordinary miracles. Yeah? I'm, I'm, you know, ordinary miracles are great. And uh, we have seen miracles. We have seen people come to faith in the life of the church. For me, that's a miracle. I just think that's fantastic. And people being discipled in the things of God. And that really excites me a lot. And uh, if you have a miracle that's happened in your life, come and tell us, because we would love to encourage other people with the things that are happening in your life. So today is barriers, uh, belief barriers and breakthrough. I'm kind of fixated on the barriers today for some reason. I keep jumping ahead in my title. Really, why, why talk about this today? Why go into this passage today? 
Um, you're probably going, here he goes again, talking about the Holy Spirit. Well, we did say that the Acts, the book of Acts, you could say it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. You could say it's the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit in and through the lives of the Apostles. Why talk about the Holy Spirit again? Why talk about this particular passage? Well, Acts probably covers a period of around 30 years of the church being born. So it's not just this didn't all happen right away. It's covering a, a, a kind of period of time. And one of the things that's interesting is that over that period of time, these same things keep happening to those who believe in Jesus. The upper room, the Holy Spirit came. They were filled with the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit. You know, Paul was baptized in the Spirit. We read uh, about Peter in Cornelius' house. And as he was speaking, the people that were listening to him were baptized in the Spirit. The Spirit came upon them and they began to speak in tongues. And here we see again, later on in Acts chapter 19, where Paul lays his hands on people and they receive the Spirit. Why talk about this? I, I think it's important to talk about this because our only source of strength and power as Christians is God Himself, right? We can't do these things on our own. I don't know about you, I know that I can't do these things on my own. I need some sort of help in order to be the person that God wants me to be. Jesus has uh, come in the flesh, miracle, grew up sinless as a child. That's a miracle. Certainly didn't happen to me. <laughs> you know, when he came into to being 30 years old, he entered into public ministry, public life. And what's interesting is that because his private life was safe and secure, he was able to enter into public life with confidence. We'll come to that in a second. Minister to people, set people free. People had demons cast out of them, not something that we talk a lot about these days. Maybe we've forgotten that that actually happens and that people need deliverance from some things. See, it's one thing to become a Christian and to receive salvation, but sometimes we need to be set free as well from things that have been part of our lives in the past, things that we have just kind of, it's like baggage that we've picked up. We need to be set free from that, and sometimes it's, there are spiritual reasons behind the baggage, and we need to be set free from that. Jesus was able to minister to people, heal people, and these were all signs that God was with them. Signs. I don't know about you, I want to see some signs of God in operation. I want to see more signs of God in operation. I don't want to see some because we're already seeing signs of God in operation. I want to see more signs of God in operation. And Jesus, it says that he died on a cross. He was falsely accused. People brought things against him because they were jealous of who he was and all that he was doing in God's name. The old guard, as it were, the Jewish leaders, they didn't like what he was doing. And so they said, crucify him. And they incite the crowd. And it's something that we see time and time again in the book of Acts as the Jews stirring up the crowd. And we see that in this passage as well. If you read on in this passage, you'll see that there's actually a riot in Ephesus. And it takes somebody to, to calm them all down and say, we're going to be in trouble from Rome if we don't sort this out. Jesus died because people incited violence against them. But here's the thing, God already knew that that was going to happen. God knew it was part of His plan and purpose. And we know that Jesus died on the cross, but then He rose again on the third day. And as we 
approach Easter, we begin to think again in the church about that celebration. Jesus rose from the dead, and the book of Acts tells us about people seeing Jesus in the flesh. Imagine that. Imagine seeing the resurrected Jesus in the flesh. I don't know about you, I would have loved to have been there. You know, have you ever wished that you lived in a different time zone, different time era, not time zone? You've just come back from down like the other side of the world. That's, that's not what I'm meaning. A different era. You know, I sometimes watch these films about the Second World War. We watched one last night, and uh, you kind of think there's something romantic about it. It was like, oh, I wish I'd lived, lived in the war days, and you're like, eh, no. <laughs> it wasn't romantic at all. Sometimes we kind of think it'd be great to have lived in a different age and, and saw what happened in the world. But here's the thing. God has called us to live in this age, and He's given us the Holy Spirit in order that the signs and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit might be evident today, that the acts of the apostles become the acts of Whitburn Pentecostal Church. When I started speaking in this, I said, turn to Acts chapter 29. And a few people went, hey, finishes at 28. Well, Acts 29 is us. And it's important that we realize that we are no different to the people then. We have struggles. We have temptations. They had struggles. They had temptations. They had many opportunities where they could have probably given up. Intense persecution the church faced. And so many occasions where they could have probably said, do you know what? I've had enough. I'm out of here. I'm going back to Judaism or whatever it is, whatever ism they, they came out of. And it's into this that I think we need, we need to grasp something here that if, if we don't have what the early church had, are we going to be able to experience the things that the early church experienced? You see, it's about the Holy Spirit coming in, living in, dwelling in, empowering, and it's through that that we see the miracles. And so, that's why I think this is important. I haven't talked about anything that's in my notes yet, but I'm just telling you, I'm sharing my heart about why this is important. You see, each of us has got to believe in something. We all believe in something. Did you know that? Even atheists believe in something. Humanists have beliefs. Secularists have beliefs. Not everything can be explained in this world. And so, we have different beliefs about how things came to be, how, how we even are conscious. There's a mystery, consciousness. How the world began. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the Bible says. The earth was without form and empty, and the Holy Spirit, the Spirit was brooding over the waters, ready to do something, just waiting on the Word. And the Word came. God said, let there be light, and there was light. How did that happen? We don't really know. And the scientists don't really know. But one of the incredible things is that there was a beginning. God made it happen. But there's an area of mystery in it all because we don't really know how it began. The scientists don't really know how it began. 
and we have theories, and we have ideas. And I get asked the question, is science against religion? You know, are the two fighting against each other? Well, no, they're not. What inspired science to start with was a belief in God, and to understand His ways. You know, His ways are beyond our ways. His ways are above our ways. Let's try and understand His ways. But we form our ideas and opinions. We have beliefs. And I I think rather than saying that science is anti-religion and religion is anti-science, what happens is there are people who have different worldviews, they have different ideas about how the world works. And that's really the, the issue that's at stake. Because we can make scientific observations and predictions and all this kind of stuff, but the interpretations that we make, the conclusions that we come to, are based by our world view. And so we need to be objective in science. We also need to, I think, in some cases, be objective in faith as well. Anyway, I'm totally off my notes. Uh, Apologies for that. So we're talking about belief, barriers, and breakthroughs. Let's look at this passage. You know, the, uh, the first thing that we see here is that the men that Paul came across had a belief in Jesus, but they had not been taught. And Paul asked them a simple question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. What's that all about? People who have received John's baptism a baptism of repentance, a baptism that's more kind of linked into the old Jewish customs of purity and that way of life. But Jesus says that when we believe, there's a different baptism, a baptism of the Holy Spirit. However, these men, it does say that they were baptized in water and in the Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit's work is so important in this world. It's so important in our lives. This is why we need to keep coming back to this. Let's consider a few verses uh, from the book of John. When we think about the Holy Spirit, John is a good book to go. Chapter 7, verse 37. And uh, we read that Jesus was teaching the people at the Feast of Tabernacles, and he stood up at the end of this celebration And he said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. And it's interesting that what we're looking at here is streams of water that well up from within the person, living water, life-giving water. And what Jesus is saying is that what he's, what he's talking about is that what would happen is the Holy Spirit would come in and it would be like streams of living water in the hearts and lives of the people that he came into. John chapter 14 and Jesus is speaking with the disciples, and then again he makes reference to the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17. And this is what he says. He's talking to his disciples. 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives, listen to this, he lives with you. He'd not been given, but he lives with you and will be in you. There's a distinction there between the Holy Spirit living with us and the world and the Holy Spirit living in us as Christians, even for these early disciples. You can read on in John chapter 16 about the work of the Holy Spirit, but I want to just read one other verse from John chapter 20, verse 21, and it says, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, listen to this, this is interesting. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Something happened in this moment that hadn't happened before. Jesus breathes on the disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. And what did that look like? What did that feel like? I don't know if it looked or felt like anything, but they received the Holy Spirit into their lives. But that receiving of the Holy Spirit is different from what we read about in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. If it wasn't different, there wouldn't be an Acts chapter 2, verse 4. When we become a Christian, we receive the Holy Spirit into our lives. Something happens, but when we read Acts chapter 2, it says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Jesus referred, Jesus referred to this as being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it was something that happened after John chapter 20, verse 22, where Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit. Something happened after that where they were filled with the Spirit. We see the same thing with Peter when he's in the house of Cornelius. This experience of receiving the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. I think this whole subject, and, and, and I'm going back in history and in time, and even in my own experience, this subject has been quite a polarizing subject. I'm a Christian. I have the Holy Spirit in me, and that's fine, and that's good. Yeah, when we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes in and begins to do the Holy Spirit's work in us. But I believe, and I am a Pentecostal minister, and I do believe this, and I've had to wrestle with some of these things myself, is that there is a second experience which Jesus described as the baptism of the Spirit, which we are able to benefit from, so that the Spirit comes in in all His power and fullness and enables us to exhibit the gifts of the Spirit that it talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. These are spiritual gifts that are an operation of the Holy Spirit within us. That's the Holy Spirit that produces that. The Holy Spirit is the one who's working. He's doing His work. It's what He is supposed to do. And we exhibit these gifts. And I think sometimes over the years, we've kind of got really tied up in this whole thing about tongues and speaking in tongues. And we've kind of got ourselves in knots around it. And we've had lots of arguments and debates and 
I've had the arguments and the debates as well, by the way, as I try to grapple with this and as I try to understand it. But the conclusion I have come to is that the gift of tongues is there for everybody. It's a gift which enables us to build up ourselves. Every gift of the Spirit, those gifts we read about in 1 Corinthians 12, are there that the church might be built up and strengthened. And we have a gift that can be given, that we can use, that builds ourselves up. We need to go into 1 Corinthians chapter 14 to understand the operation of the gifts of the Spirit in particular tongues. The disciples in Acts 2 begin to speak in languages that other people can understand. But it doesn't stop there. I've heard stories of people given a message in tongues and it's actually been an intelligible language, right? There are other times where somebody gives a message in tongues and it's a heavenly language. Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians 14. Read it for yourselves. I'm not going to go into all the detail of it. But the question then is, well, was that just for the apostles back then? in whatever year it was, 33 AD or something like that. Is it, is it just for them? You see, some people believe that uh, there is no continuance of these things into our time and space, the, the, the time zone, the time uh, era that we live in. And, and, and people say, well, that was for them, so the church got established and, uh, and now God's doing things differently. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. Acts chapter 2, verse 39. Peter gets up to address the crowd who have gathered, and he explains to them what's happening. And you know how he talks about this is what was prophesied by Joel, and he goes into it, and then he goes into all the things about Jesus, and by the way, you crucified him. And they're like, what, what, what do we need to do? But when Peter is talking about this, this is what he says, the promise is for you and your children, not just for one generation back 2,000 years ago, but for every subsequent generation after that. It's for every generation. The promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Are you called to be a Christian today? This means yes, <laughs> and this means no. It's okay. It's not a test. If you are a Christian today, what does it say? The promise is for you and for your children and to all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This is for everybody, for everybody. And we need to grasp that this is for everybody. My goodness, I didn't need to write notes today. I mean, notes, jingsy me, I can't even see them now. The thing is, as I read the, the Gospels, as I read Acts, I see the disciples in different stages John chapter 7 and 14 in these chapters, disciples without the Holy Spirit, yet following Jesus. John chapter 20, when Jesus says, breathed on them and, and says, receive the Spirit, 
disciples who have received something into their lives. And then in Acts chapter 2, disciples who are baptized in the Holy Spirit, different stages in their experience with God, different stages in their faith. But we know that unless that happened, what did Jesus say? He said to them to wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power. Do you feel that you are clothed with power today? Interesting question. Do you feel clothed in power? I, I, I put on my waistcoat this morning, one of my buttons popped and I had to <laughs> stitch it back up before I came out to, to church. Things that we put on, and I'm glad you put on clothes today as well, okay? <laughs> we've, put, we've all put things on today. And, well, it'd be a bit embarrassing if we didn't, wouldn't it? But that's another story. And what, what has been talked about here is, is like putting something on. It's been clothed with power. Imagine having a big power jacket that you put on. You're like, bring it on. I'm ready. <laughs> Imagine you, you could actually put something on and, and you felt like Superman in it. I wish I had a jacket like that, okay? But we don't have clothes like that, but it's a figure of speech that we put on the Holy Spirit, and He clothes us in power. You see, Paul recognized that these 12 men were believers, you see, implied in what we're reading here is that at some point in time, they had come to believe in Jesus through the ministry of John the Baptist. We're not told about the conversation that leads to this point, but clearly, these believers need taught. Paul recognizes this right away. You've experienced something, you've believed, but now you need to really be taught about the things of God. I wonder how many people have some sort of belief in God, but have never been taught what that actually means. We can have a belief in God, and we can come to church and hear things and go, well, that's not how I see it okay? <laughs> Let me tell you, it's not about how you see it or how I see it. It's about what God's Word actually says, right? If we make up our own ideas about that, it's because we've not learned how to interpret Scripture properly. There are rules for the interpretation of Scripture. It's not about us taking things and making them say what we want. There are de we'll maybe talk about that sometime. The Bible is not open to our individual interpretation just like prophecy is not open to individual interpretation. God has spoken very clearly, and it's up to us to understand what He's saying in His Word by understanding the context that it was written into, who was writing, who were writing to, what were the circumstances, were they addressing something specific, was it something for the whole church, should it be a letter of Paul's that was shared all around, was it for a specific group of people? We need to begin to understand how to read and interpret Scripture. You see, belief is one thing, but then we have barriers to the things that we believe. We have barriers all the time. And one of the barriers for the, these men not believing was that they had simply not heard the message. Verse 2 says, no, we have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Twelve men who Paul met and did not even heard that there was a Holy Spirit so it's important that we are taught the Scriptures not only 
for learning things in our head, but that the Scriptures might change us in our heart, that we might be changed. Here's the thing, though. Not everybody embraces the Bible's teaching. And Paul said this, assuming that Paul wrote Romans, which I think he did. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes through hearing the message, and the message is heard through the Word of Christ. We need to teach the Bible. We need to teach each other. And that's why connect groups are important, that we are opening up and that we're examining what the Scriptures say. But we're thinking about barriers to belief. Somebody was saying recently that the, the Christian, you know, people talk about the, the, the Christian life being like a race. And uh, somebody was saying recently, it's, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And you can kind of get what people are saying by that. But I, I don't think it's like a marathon either. My personal opinion is that it's more like this, the steeplechase. It's a long race, but that race is full of barriers and obstacles. I'm pretty sure I'm not the only person in this room today who's experienced barriers and obstacles to my journey with God in growing and developing in Christ. I don't know about you, you, you watch some of these people racing and they're coming up to that and they just don't have the energy to get up and over and you see them catch their, their toe on the barrier and they face plant into the water they kind of go for a swim. Have you ever seen that <laughs> in the steeplechase? Have you ever felt like that yourself in your Christian walk where you're like, oh, here comes another barrier. Oh, I don't have the energy to get over it. And you just go <laughs> flat in your face. Barriers to us moving forward in our walk with God. I remember doing uh, judo when I was at college. And I can't remember what night it was, but it'd be after college and we'd do like two hours of solid training, two hours of wrestling, two hours of getting smacked on the ground. And I'd come home. And I didn't even have the energy to eat my tea. I was like, I just sat down on the sofa, just exhausted with the physical, just so much physical exertion that you actually felt like you were going to be sick. It was just, oh, why did I do this? Because because I like beating the judo instructor, yeah. I remember one time, we, we used to get the, the judo belts, and we'd put them in a big circle, right? And it was sumo wrestling. Imagine me being a sumo wrestler, eh? <laughs> <laughs> And the idea was that when you were in the ring, you had to somehow get your opponent to touch the ground with some other part of the body other than the soles of their feet, right? And it was my turn to go into the ring, and who was in the ring but the judo instructor? Oh, my goodness. He was just a big, massive guy. And he had, you know how you do that kind of handhold thing? Josh, come up to me demonstrate this. Come on. Come on. You, you do this kind of handhold. This has nothing to do with the message, by the way. I just thought it would be fun. Right, he's too strong and he's beating me now, okay? Right, you know how you do that thing? And he, he had me right down on the ground. I was near, you can sit back down, thanks, Josh. Almost on the deck. And I managed to get free and just go round behind him and grab his leg and go, whee! Down he came, and I was like, champion, yes. However, the next guy came in, and he'd done me in a second. I was out, so my joy was short-lived. But there are, 
you know, barriers, things that get in the way of our Christian faith, things that the enemy would want to put in our lives that stop us from progressing in the things of God. And we need to be aware of these things. And I think one of the things that can stop us is disbelief. It's a simple thing. We're talking about belief barriers and breakthroughs. Obviously, the first barrier needs to be disbelief because God is wanting us to be a people of faith, a people who believe. And this barrier of disbelief comes and gets in the way. Let's begin to understand. Isaiah 55, 9 says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I remember the day when the penny dropped to me, trying to understand God, and the penny dropped, here is me with my little peanut brain trying to understand an infinite God, the God who designed the, 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 the laws that our universe is governed on. He designed them, put them in place, and He resides above all of that. And here we are trying to use laws and rules to understand who God is. God is above our ways. He doesn't think the way that we think. He doesn't do the things that we do. God is above all of those things. And yet Jesus comes and He asks us to believe. And what do we say? Maybe like the man in Mark 9, 24, his son was, you know, manifesting all sorts of things and he tried everything with this boy and nothing had worked. And he comes to Jesus and says, can you do something? And Jesus says, I can. He says, do you believe? And the man says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Help me overcome my unbelief. Yes, I believe that God can do whatever He wants, but when it doesn't happen, that unbelief starts to rise up within you. Like, what's happening here? What? Why am I not seeing what I expect to see? Mystery, mysteries, mysteries, because God's ways are not always our ways. And we have to say sometimes, yeah, I believe, but help me to overcome my unbelief. The other thing I'm going to touch on really briefly now is duplicity. And I didn't just go for another D because it sounded good. Because I think that is the actual word I was looking for. Barriers to belief, barriers to experiencing all that God has for us. And one, and I've been challenged in this, uh, just kind of listening to uh, a speaker this week at conference I was at. You know, I said I was going to a conference. Excuse me. <clears throat> uh, the speaker was Gerald Coates. And man, I could have listened to him for hours. It was just incredible. And he talked about this whole area of the difference between our public and our private life. Let me put up a picture and I'll give you an illustration. Everybody knows who that is, yeah? Glen Finnan, okay? And that is the train track that goes round there. And uh, I remember we sat there for like two and a half hours waiting on the train coming. Mary was enthralled with the whole experience. She was like, yes, the train's coming. No, she wasn't really. We were like that. It's like, eee, the train's coming. But can you imagine 
Could you imagine if one of those tracks is going round that big bend, and it's, I mean, it's absolutely perfect, but the other track is going like this. Can you, can you imagine what that would be like? In and out, in and out, not running parallel to the other track. What would happen? The train would be derailed. Remember, we're thinking about barriers to our faith, barriers to receiving all that God has for us. And one of the things that's a surefire thing is if our private life doesn't match our public life. We all have a private life. There is a life that nobody else sees. I have a private life that even Mary doesn't know all about, the things that go in my head. Thank goodness for that. She's like, thank goodness. But there's an area in my life, an intimacy in my life, through a relationship where Mary knows things about me that nobody else in this room knows. Why? Because my private world, if I'm serious about being a Christian, about going for the long haul, my private world needs to reduce in size, needs to shrink, so that what's going on inside of me equals what's going on outside of me. You see, some people say, I'm not interested in church because the church is full of hypocrites. What's the problem? The problem is the private world doesn't match the public world. You see, we say one thing and we do another thing. And we don't have time to go into reading this passage, but I encourage you to read it. Romans uh, chapter 7, verses 17 through to 25. Make a wee note of that because we're running out of time today. Paul talks about the thing that I want to do, I don't do. And the very thing I do is the thing that I don't want to do. Because we have this struggle going on within us because we have an old sinful nature which has been crucified. And, you know, we need to keep doing that every day. We need to die to ourselves. We need to put that old nature to death, sometimes on a daily basis, sometimes on a minute-by-minute basis, depending on what you're going through. We need to put that old nature to death. Just as Jesus died on the cross, we die to our old self. We take up our cross every single day, and we live for Jesus. You see, if we're ever going to see the breakthroughs, we need to first deal with areas of disbelief. If we're ever going to see breakthroughs, we need to deal with the duplicity in our own lives. You know, somebody, somebody was talking about unity this week. Very, very interesting uh, talk. The Bible talks in James, I think, about a double-minded man. Do you know that verse? I think it's if we're praying for wisdom, we should ask in expectant hearts, not being a double-minded person. You know, it's like one minute I'm this, and then the next minute I'm that. There was a story about a guy like that. Was it Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? One minute I'm this person in the church who's got this kind of thing going on, and everybody sees me and I'm a good person, and then something else happens when I go home, I become this other person. 
and my family see a different person here than here. I'm not talking about myself, by the way, hopefully. I'm just, I'm just using that as an illustration, okay? I'm not confessing in public, right? But the point is, we need to be the same at home as we are here with other people. We need to deal with this duplicity in our lives, and we need to get rid of it. We need to make our private world shrink. And you get, I hope you get what I'm saying by that. We have our personal lives, okay? Some people are very private people, and some people are very kind of wear their heart on their sleeves, and everybody knows about everything that's going on in their lives, right? So let's just face facts. We're all different, right? Some of us are by nature private people. I am by nature a private person, right? Although I've learned that sometimes I just need to wear my heart on my sleeve a bit as well. It gets me into trouble sometimes. We need to bring these things into check so that we are the same person no matter where we go. You'll know from experience that you like being with somebody who you find the same way every day. You've heard that expression. You like being with people that are who they say they are. I remember in Mitsubishi when I worked there, there was a guy in our department. Maybe I shouldn't say this. I'll say it anyway because I'm not using names, right? There was a guy in our department who always told lies. And everybody knew that he told lies. And there's one occasion, we're in the lab, there's a few people dotted around, and he goes off and saying whatever he was saying. And I just stood up and said, no, you're not telling the truth. And I looked to my chums to back me up, and they just went, <laughs> you've dug this hole yourself. <laughs> I was like, I can't handle this. You're not who you say you are. And it really, it was one of those moments that I'll never forget. Nobody backed me up bunch of cowards. Hope they're listening to this message. I'm like, they might be listening to this message, I don't know. But they just didn't stand up for what they were prepared to say behind the person's back and not say to the person's face, duplicity, double standards. There's no place for it. If we want to be the people that God has called us to be, we need to deal with these things and I'm finished. You know, if we want to see the breakthroughs in our lives, in our church, if we want to see people being set free, and God doing the things that God can do, only God can do, if we want to see these things, we need to overcome our unbelief. We need to overcome these areas of double standards in our lives. What did Jesus say? He says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Only if you're thirsty for it. If you're not thirsty for it, there's no room. Last night I ate too much. And later on I was sitting watching the TV and I'm thinking, I'll just have a wee sweetie. But there's no room for the sweetie. Even when I went to my bed, I thought, that was a mistake. <laughs> I actually ate the sweetie anyway. <laughs> but I was full. Can't take any more. 
in order to be filled, we need to be empty. We need to empty ourselves of ourselves in order to be filled with God, in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit. My encouragement is that you begin to seek after deeper things in God. Don't settle for where you are just now, right? I'm not settled with where I'm at. I'm not happy with where I'm at. I want more in God. I want to experience more of God and live more for God. Don't settle for where you are. Press through in areas of belief where God has said something. Press into what God has said and keep believing for that. And let's learn to live our lives in a way that glorifies God, where people don't have any room to say, I, hypocrite, double standards. Let's deal with these areas in our lives. I think it's so important that we find people to confide in, people that we can trust and share things with. That's so important because it's in the process of doing that that our private world gets smaller. Let's pray, and uh, maybe the musicians could come back up as well. Yeah, Father, we remember that these men who met Paul, Father, they were glad to receive all that you had for them. And Father, we pray today that we would be glad to receive all that you have for us Father, as individuals, Father, may we, as we go into this week, really press in to the things of the Holy Spirit. Father, press in to those areas in our lives where there's perhaps uh, some double standard stuff going on. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to find somebody that we can talk to about that, that we can receive prayer and we can really move on in our lives from those things. Lord, we recognize that this is a spiritual battle that we're in. Father, we don't fight against flesh and blood but, Father, against a very real enemy. And, uh, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to be overcomers. Father, help us to be people who uh, know what it is to live in that freedom that you have for us. And, Father, we pray today that if there are things that we are struggling with, Lord, that you would just make yourself known, that you would make your presence known in those areas of struggle. May we hear your voice. May we hear the Spirit. May we hear the things which you would speak into our lives that would bring life and healing and wholeness. Thank you, Lord. Maybe even, maybe even just now that in this kind of stellar moment, you're beginning to respond to what God is saying to you. Just reach out to him today. Bring all these things before him. Bring your situations before him today.
Father, if there are areas where there are blockages in our lives like barriers, we just thought last week about the whole idea of a dam that needs to be released. And as I was thinking about today, as and thinking about that word from last week, it sort of made sense to me that there are two ways that that dam can be dealt with. Well, maybe three. One way is to be taking little sticks away at a time and having no impact, just little things. And we can be involved in doing little things that don't make a lot of impact in our lives. Or really going for those areas where it is a key structural thing in the dam. It's, it's like something in our lives that is very, uh, perhaps strategically placed that blocks what God is wanting to do and to really pray through that and to, by prayer and maybe confession, maybe having somebody else pray for you to deal with those areas and just to allow the life of God to flow. And then the third way was just the sheer force of the river of God in our lives. And maybe that's where some of us are needing to come to, is that we need that sheer force of God's Spirit in our lives to really shift some of those things that are the blockage in our lives. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come now and that you would just minister and that you would be that force which pushes out the things which are barriers to our faith and our walk with the Lord today. Lord, we pray that you come and that you move through those areas, that you would just sweep away anything that hinders the, our growth and our just our, our moving up into the things which you have for us. So Lord, we pray that you come by your spirit and that you would move in our hearts. So you just, I really think we need to just make a bit of time here. Um, if you want, if you want to, to receive specific prayer, then I invite you to come out to the front as we begin to worship again. And, uh, you know, I just want to pray for you. Um, if there's something specific that, that we just seek God in that and, and really see a breakthrough uh, in these things in your life. So if, if you want me to pray for you, you know, you can come out the front. Uh, the seats at the front, if you're not able to stand, uh, you can come out the front. There's plenty of space. And just as we begin to worship, don't be embarrassed about that. Um, we don't respond because uh, necessarily it's a bad thing, but because we we're, really want to move into the things that God has for us. And so as as we begin to worship, let's stand and, uh, you know, let's, let's sing. And if you want prayer, then just come out the front and we'll pray for you.